Hey guys, before today's episode of the podcast, I want you to text me 212-931-5731. If you don't, you're missing out. I'm putting all my eggs in the fucking text basket. 212-931-5731. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. I, uh, I'm very excited to talk to you about this because you talk about something, self-awareness, right? You say that self-awareness is, is the key. Yes. And my my number one question for you is how did you become self-aware? Like when did that happen for you? When did it all click in? You're like, this is who I am. This is what I'm here to do. And then you were like nose to the grindstone with it. In some way, when I hear that question, what, <coughs> what feels natural to me is a evolution between 11 and 18. Somewhere between, four, definitely fourth grade when I had the conviction and the guts to have weird little conversations with myself in bed when I would be anxious about the fact that I was making this transition to being a bad student. I don't know how else to say it. Like, you know, in third grade I got straight A's and would win in flashcards because I have good math skills and, and in fourth grade I literally started getting bad grades. And A, it didn't come natural to me anymore. Like now, now I think my mind was wandering in class so the ability to just listen and go off of that to be successful became a problem because now I was already starting to think about how to sell baseball cards to my friends, what am I gonna do after school, let me make a joke to make everybody laugh. My brain started to wander and then it was also around the time when it was time to actually do stuff at home, like homework, and that was unacceptable because I had to play Nerf football and try to sell and video games and so between that moment and even right up to senior year of high school, navigating that and understanding like this is what I'm good at, this is what I'm not good at. And then really in high school, intuitively, subconsciously, naturally, being able to not have to fit in and not being affected by, I mean look, it's really interesting. I think anybody who's listening, I I mean maybe this is a Jersey thing but like, Everybody made fun of everybody all the time, always. That was just I'm the nature Chicago. of it. Yeah, it right? Like, like yeah. you know, I think a lot about what are we doing to children in our parenting now that make it so difficult? You know, and extreme bullying is very different than getting made fun of occasionally. And so there's a lot of variables to this. But, you know, the high school years of like not worrying about my popularity and valuing, one of the things that I'm most proud of is getting DMs and messages from high school friends today saying, Man, this is so cool because this was always actually you. You literally had the, like things verbatim, you had the guts to be friends with everybody in high school. And I was very proud of that. I was very proud of weirdest kid on the bus. So you I didn't would, try to fit in, you were. I thought fitting in was fitting in with everybody. Okay. Instead of fitting in to like six people. So I wanted to fit in with the kid that nobody was nice to. I wanted to fit into the kids that were naturally kind of my core friends who were like into sports or sports cards. Yeah. I wanted to fit in with popular kids and that was easy too. You know, I am who I am. Obviously I have people skills. Um, But I was aware that it was unusual how I was navigating through high school. Not going to parties but working. Being friends with the weird kids. Uh, You know, not over pandering to the coolest kids in our school. Not being good at grades. Like I was playing, I was an enigma my whole life. And I think 11 to 18 was when that manifested. And that I would, that's a long-winded answer to, that's when I started understanding myself, 
which is what I would argue self-awareness was. It was also when I went through, wait a minute, I'm not the cutest kid in class. Wait a minute, I'm not the best athlete. Because in second and fourth, fifth grade, in fourth grade I thought I was the best looking, most athletic kid in my class. And very honestly, I think there's a chance I was, but, (laughs) but, but it that's was, because also because your mom was pumping you up like 100%. she was like positive and all like the way. I was like like you know I was yes that and I was competitive and I have great hand eye coordination and I matured slowly so I had boyish looks like yes all those things but it was a great I was not scared of all the bad stuff and I think we live in a world right now where people are scared of the bad stuff tremendously uh, and I believe that that's what leads to delusion you don't want to face that you're not the fastest, you're not the best looking, you're not the smartest. You don't wanna face that, you don't accept that, which leads to a lack of self-awareness. So, I'm kinda guessing that you were a sensitive kid. Like I hear you, yes. you, you, you cried a lot, you got your feelings hurt. By the way, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a huge dap. That is the first time that somebody has said that and it couldn't be more true. I yeah. cried constantly from 1980 from 1982 to 1988 and i mean multiple times a week real crying well that so that brings me to another question so you talked about when you went to work with your dad yes and he kind of sensed your bullshit right yes you could you could really bullshit yes right right. he and you made a comment on one of your podcasts that there were many times you were in his office crying yes what was he doing you know what's funny? Him saying to me like, you know, the number's the number or like, he never really, my dad doesn't talk a lot. So he wasn't, a, he was a man from the old school. So yeah. it wasn't like he sat me down and said, son, you know, this embellishing or lying is unex, it wasn't like that. It would be like, you know, a customer would walk in and they're like, I would try to sell them a bottle of wine. And, and I was, <laughs> I was, you want to talk about not being self-aware? The, the, audacity that I had as a 14 year old who looked nine to have a grown up come into a liquor store, hand them the (laughs) bottle of wine that I knew we had to sell and be like, you should buy this. And they would look at me and say, well, have you had it? And I would say yes with a straight fucking (laughs) face and really like believed it (laughs) is pretty ludicrous. And what would happen is he would give me a look and I could sense like, oh, I did something wrong, not right, even though I accomplished the goal. And very quickly it came out, it started chipping away. The reason I would cry is my dad is tough. You know, I would, I would be a 15 year old kid, I would work 11 hours, like from seven, we'd leave the house at 7 a.m. Yeah. The store, you know, got there at 8.10, my dad would do the deposit. I'd have to keep myself busy. The store opened at nine. It's now 7 p.m., uh, no lunch break. I've worked every minute. This is like child fucking hardcore real labor. And then at like 6.50, I would go to my dad and muster up the guts to be like, hey dad, are we going home soon? And he would like bark at me. Like, you know, you know like, 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 skip, yeah, like yeah, and, yeah. and like that made me cry. <laughs> like, I don't know, right, like, it right. was like sad. Like, I was like fucking like, fuck, this is hard. Yeah. You know, like, like, um, and you know, the truth is actually, I'm embellishing a little bit there. Not that that's, that would upset me. What made me cry actually is my dad genuinely did not treat employees well. And I'm really, I'm sensitive to it as I'm saying it right now. Yeah. He transformed in the way that he changed my ability to lie 
I changed his point of view on employees. Yeah. Um, he just wasn't nice. You know, I'd watch people really work. He came from the Soviet Union. Right. You know, he looked at employees <laughs> like, not the way, like genuinely the complete opposite of the way I look at employees. Well, you're, like you're, I look at these guys, like I look at them, yeah. and I just know what I feel, and I feel a sense of responsibility, and my dad genuinely felt like, I'm paying you, and fucking work. Like, fuck you. Like, really, and that really yeah. bothered me. Yeah, well, I mean, the guy was working for his fucking life. I mean, what a break to get out of the Soviet Union to be able to come I, here and I, do what he did. I judged him immensely at the time. Yeah. I, I look, there's people that have come from hard places, that don't treat their employees like shit. Right. So I still judge it at some level. I understand it a lot more. Um, he really feared, really feared, was crippled by the notion of people stealing from him. Crippled. Did like, that happen a lot in the Soviet Union? Was that a, that was was the, a deal? Like, oh, so I don't know if you know this. This is one of the most fascinating things to talk to Americans about. I don't think Americans actually really genuinely understand socialism or communism. I would agree. Because they can't. I don't blame. Right. Everything was stolen. The government owns everything. So imagine every store and every company is owned by the government. So I, Gary, don't own Vayner. I'm some general manager of. Not compensated in any way based on its success. So now I'm making a deal with Dustin that he can come in at night and steal the computers and sell them on the black market. But kick me some cash. Everything was stolen. The entire country ran on the black market. Yeah. Think about what's illegal in America. Drugs, black market. Guns at some level, yeah. a certain type. But everything that's illegal here is on the black market. Everything is over there. Everything. Milk and tile and carpet and chairs. And like, it took, you know, people waited 13 years. My parents waited 13 years to get a phone. Like 20 years to get on the line for a refrigerator. And 15 for a car and like, you waited seven hours in line for bread. Like the the when I talk about utter uh, ridiculousness of entitlement in America in its current state, seven dollar coffees, you know, complaining about Delta being late by ten minutes. Yeah, I not only come from a kid that grew up in America in a very immigrant household that never bought anything for anybody about anything. I also come as the byproduct of parents and stories my entire childhood of ludicrous shit that not a person here can understand. Right. Not here in this room, not anybody who's listening. Go wait seven hours in line for a piece of bread. Yeah. And have access to no other food. Go, show me. Show me how much you're gonna cry about not getting as many likes on Instagram posts. Well, I mean, there's this huge breeding of entitlement that is going on in the country that is... It's called prosperity. It's why empires fall. Yeah. Rome did it. Genghis Khan did it. We're doing it. Yeah. We're gonna lose. China already won. This is a. This is just watching it play out. Right. Like this is over. Every little Chinese kid is way more hungrier than our little fuckers. And guess what? I say good. I don't want it to be. This is my team. This you is the jersey we, I'm wearing. Do you think we rebound from it? No. You don't think Europe so? hasn't rebounded from it? We beat the fuck out of them. Sure. No, there's no rebounding because it's 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 the progression of the game. The young, hungrier thing wins, and the fatter, older thing loses. We're the fatter, older thing. We think somebody owes us shit. Yeah. For what? Why? I love it. I I, I love losing. 
I love the process. I love merit. That's why I love losing. I do believe that some kid in the suburb of China who has is a single child because of population control and has parents driving the shit out of them to make it. And of course that has all its own shortcomings too. We all know what our grandparents did to our parents. I get it. The question is which one's better? We're very good at sitting in our collective ivory towers in America judging you know, our parents' generation and it was tough and beating a kid and hitting and all this. Ha 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 ha, guess what? We're about to fucking lose. I don't think that they can. What's worse, spanking your kid or creating such delusion that they're depressed for the rest of their fucking life? Right. I don't know. I'm gonna right. hit a kid instead. Like, and, the, and of course everything's <clears throat> a balance. But like, you know, there's a balance between beating the fuck out of your child, right? for real, like the extreme terrible things that happen in our society, and what my mom did, which was smack me in the face when I got out of hand, which said, fuck, I'm not gonna do that again. I don't wanna get punched again. What do you think and it wasn't punch, it was an open hand slap, yeah. but it fucking hurt. Where did your mom's my, positivity come from? Her natural DNA. She lost her mother at five. Her dad went to jail when she was eight for 10 years. She fucking lived in the Soviet Union. It definitely didn't come from her environment. That's interesting. Well, like you were saying before, like there's a lot of people that grow up in different environments, but their attitude, how that plays out in their life. By the life. way, for the record, and I love co-signing my parents, perfectly parented, all that shit, yeah. and my mom crushed it all time. I, I've mentioned it eight billion times. I promise you, with the natural DNA that I was given, if I was born under a fucking rock in like fucking a shitty town in Turkey to like some shit, 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 I'd fucking be here. Probably with a little bit more fucked up shit and a little bit less love to give, but... I'd be here because I'm optimistic. Here's one of the things that I find that, that's really interesting. You talk about that you have this natural DNA, right? That you, like your success is wrapped up in your DNA. And one of the things that I do is I help people become, that want to become successful, really successful. So we work on their mindset. We help them build out the company that they're, that they're building, whatever. But what's fascinating about it is you can't instill the want in a person to do it. So you have people be like, hey, I want to do this, and then they don't do anything. And then you have other individuals, they want it, and they'll do anything that is necessary There's to get a there. huge division between people that want for stuff and people who want for process. Totally. And I think one of the things I'm trying to figure out is, in the framework that you set that up, this is why I want to change success. You're, properly, because of the way we all came up, deeming, you're creating a system, I assume, I'm making some assumptions here, that a level of, you know, the framework creates success financially, because that's the nature of a business, like what right. We, right? I believe that there's a real atomic bomb that I can drop on society over the next 50 years around actually reframing success, which will then lead to everybody having the chance to love a process. There's a lot of people who have the natural DNA to be an all-time stay-at-home dad. But because we haven't created the framework yet to making a stay-at-home dad who crushes and raises three children that go on to do incredible things as an incredible North Star yeah. of being successful in the same way that we do a billionaire or an NBA you know, champion or a rapper that wins a Grammy, we, don't, we have not given macro permission yet for the people to self, I mean, I know employees right now that work for me, men, and I know their wives, that they should be doing re re reversal. That the man should stay at home yeah. and do the nurturing 
and the mom's the fucking shark and she's not happy and he's not happy and the only reason they're doing it is we have not had a mature enough conversation around success. We have created so many, by the way, we talk, thank God, we talk so much more now about women and minorities and their thing, but like, and you know, a guy who deep in his soul thinks he's a nurturing father and wants to stay home is frowned upon by his contemporaries, friends, and society. You, you know, immediately goes into old school people thinking he's a loser and he can't provide and he's balking out, yet he would love that process. There are absolutely people who do not love the process of building a business that makes money. Mm. No, I mean, <clears throat> and, and, and thus they will stop and start and have micro wins and macro failures and will never achieve it. It is, if a person comes to us and they want to work with us, that's one of the first questions that we ask them, is do they actually love the process of what they do? Because if they don't, they'll fail. If they're just going after the car or their house or you know, the jet or whatever it is, it's yep. like, no, you're not, it won't happen. And you I you think, will fail. And I think eventually there'll be more businesses built on you know, bailing them out. You know, I, I have to be empathetic to what you have upfront opportunity costs and other things. Like, yeah. I think there's a way, I think there's a lot of good stuff on the horizon. I think, I, I genuinely believe your business, you exact human beings, 40 years from now as things get reframed, the business was built from day one to be able to afford to kick Dustin out a week in when you just decided no way. Whereas, you know, whereas I'm just, and I, maybe that is what you do, but I, but I would never expect the business to do that. Uh, I do believe that we need to reframe success. We have to make happy, we have to for the fucking sake of so many fucking millions of people, we have to make success happiness. We have to, have to, have to, have to. We have to teach people how to live very happily, making $81,000 a year, that is controlling their expenses, that is not applying for credit cards, that is not valuing the clothes they wear and the cars they drive. We We have to teach parents how to make their children feel comfortable that they have a worse car or you know things like we have to teach that as an advantage like kids are funny like i think you can educate kids at 7 or 8 of like hey we have less that is going to be your advantage i believed it and and so others can too right. we've just become very consumeristic we've become very uh, at the mercy of opinion uh, judgment as a, is at an all time high people are just judging people left and right now because of the political climate. And they're and they're crashing because of it. Like, oh, I, I don't think we've even seen the crash. We are in a opioid and mental health crisis and the economy is phenomenal. Right. Does everybody understand what's about to happen next? Do you understand that only financial success is holding up many as a last leg and when that goes, the whole, I mean, I, I genuinely believe the mental carnage that comes with the next economic downturn is going to be far more extreme than we can predict because the overlay of depression is far greater than it was in 1987, in 1998, in, you know, excuse me, in, in, in 2008, in 2001, post 9-11, and the dot-com bubble, and all the other times it's happened. I'm very, very, very concerned, and hence my actions speak to that. My content has taken a fundamental shift over the last two to three years because I want to put my head on the pillow when this all goes down to say, I gave it my best at bat. Very few people on earth have spent the dollars and time to create a communication infrastructure to pump positivity with practicality 
at scale to the level that I have nope. on fucking earth. I don't know anybody. <laughs> and, 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 and so I need to do that because I believe I see what's about to happen and I can't look the other way and look myself in the mirror when it actually goes down when I know I have it in me to be the kind of communicator that can make a positive impact. Right. And if four, by the way, I, I actually said this yesterday to Phil Toronto over dinner, my friend and business associate. I said, huh, I, I never thought about it. And this is probably why I just said what I just said because how the subconscious works. I have a funny feeling that Gary V consumers, people that consume my content, are gonna be major winners during the next downturn because they're going to believe, like I do, yeah. that this adversity is good. They're going to enjoy going back to Rocky and moving in with their parents and all this. They're going to put the process of the rebuilding on a pedestal while the far majority that haven't consumed this perspective are gonna think it's the worst thing that ever happened. Well, it's because it's built on a false narrative. I agree. They blew something that's absolutely not true. That's never gonna go away. I agree. Okay, we have a question. So we're giving away a case of empathy wine. <laughs> Thank you. To one of our listeners. Okay. Her name is Chef Lizette. And then yes. this was it. This is this is what, I've heard of Chef Lizette. Y- yes, okay. Who has interacted with every single piece of content of mine over the last eight years. Okay. So well maybe you've heard this before. So she said you well, stated so smartly on a sports podcast with Adam Shine. Okay. Um, that you believe the metrics for vetting incoming football players should be based more on emotional intelligence versus bench press or performance stats. What should the metrics or standards be for putting social media influencers on a pedestal? What was the transition she just made? What what should the metrics be or standards for putting social media influencers on a pedestal? Well, definitely should not be following count. And that is what we currently score on. Right. Uh, you know, I think where Chef Lizette is going properly is I believe in the gray, not in the black and white. And the point I was making on Shiny's uh, podcast was, now that I've been in the football business for three years, I'm like, whoa, right. This, you know, maybe because football is my one weird place, yeah. I never deployed my thought on the world on football, but now I have, which is, oh right, football's just like everything I believe in. I don't care that you went to Harvard and you're good at sales. If you're a piece of shit, you're not gonna be good in my company because you're gonna destroy everything around you. Yeah. That's football. I don't give a fuck if you run a 3940, if you're beating women, if you fucking hang out with fucking pieces of shit, if you're a insecure dick in the locker room and nobody likes you, I don't care how many fucking touchdowns you're gonna score, inevitably that is going to be a problem. And I now have gone through three drafts where I've recruited these kids. When we recruit kids, I get data, you know, AJ and the team's recruiting, I get data, they're looking at stuff like, we know who their girlfriend is. We know who their boyfriend is. We know, you know, their parents' situation. We know who they hang out with. We know how they roll. I'm super scared to, as you can imagine, in my position, yeah. Vayner Sports will never make enough money, let alone happiness, to offset me taking somebody who then goes and does something outrageously egregious, and then I have to deal with the brand. Ratif- you know, I don't even know how to answer to the world. You know, if Aaron Hernandez had been, you know, repped by Vayner's, I don't even know how to, I I don't even know what I would do. I mean, I know what I would do. I'd go live stream and be like, take full responsibility. I should have saw it, but like, you don't control people. No matter how much I vet, I'm still not gonna control people. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of thought that goes into who we recruit on Vayner Sports, not just where we think they're getting drafted. Since I've gone through that, I have seen people that have been complete no's to me. No chance, we will not recruit them go in the top 30 picks in the NFL draft and three years later already not be in a good spot. AKA out of the fucking league, which is unheard of. 
like on a practice squad, not playing, you know, just, you know, you know, so, um, comma, that's what we need to do with social media influencers or anybody else. I believe over time we will get far more thoughtful around emotional intelligence and I do believe that, look, I think I'm a living proof of it. My level of fame, uh, whatever it is, is growing rapidly. It is not because I'm so attractive or so funny or so incredible in my athletics. I am bringing value to human beings which results in admiration. There are really fancy people that I have dinners with, uh, handlers at events that handle way more famous people than me and they are constantly taken aback by the interactions I have with people who stop me in the halls, at the airport, in life and to the point where somewhere inevitably by the third interaction, if I take three selfies or have two conversations, they will literally, and again, these are people who are surrounded by the most famous people in the world, they will look at me and say, What's going on? And I do not believe they're saying, I didn't realize how many people knew you. I think what they're saying is, why does this feel different? And I believe that admiration feels different than liking somebody for something vain. Yeah. And I believe that that will be scored long term. Impact and how you make people feel and like you know the quality of what you're putting out into the world will continue to rise. I think subconsciously people know the truth. Like you, it resonates with a person when they hear it and you're everywhere with that truth that you so passionately believe in and it just resonates with the soul. I think that's right. And that's why the other thing that people ask me about when I'm in, again, I'm traveling enough and doing enough events that people inevitably will be with me for the day, the partners of the event or what have you and they're completely flabbergasted by the demo range. You know, a lot of people think my audience is like young dudes and then we'll be walking in the airport or at the event and a 73-year-old African-American female will roll up and a 55-year-old old white guy or like, you know, Latino, you know, nine-year-old from TikTok. Like, yeah. it's, the truth is universal. Okay, okay. So it is, and that brings me to my next question. It comes from Liv. My sales manager's daughter watches you on TikTok. Yes. And she heard that I was interviewing you and she said to me the other night at a party, she's How like- How old is she? That, 10. She's 10. Okay. She said, would you ask Gary a question for me? And I said, sure, what is it? So she had two questions. One, why do you make videos? And two, what is your favorite food? I love it. Right? <laughs> this growth in the under 12 demo is gonna be a lot of fun. You get a lot of favorite food. Favorite food is definitely English peas. So not snap peas. Not, you know, not green beans. There's something called English peas. Yep. They were my complete obsession. I love them. When they're in season, I'm like the happiest boy. Uh, why do I make videos? Yes. I have an inherent want to share goodness that I feel uncomfortably grateful and almost borderline guilty in having in my body. It feel. I used to hear things like, I have to. Or it, you know, my body's making me, you know, and I would yeah. like, you know, and I would always like laugh and think that was such horseshit, like an, you know, like like from a musician, or you know, an actor or actress. Um, and I, uh, I understand now. I had no interest in anything remotely close to notoriety or fame. I was 34 years old before I'm, 30. Excuse me, I was 31 years old before I made a wine video, and I was 34 years old before I made a business video. I didn't move to LA and wait tables to be on television. I 
I worked in a liquor store in New Jersey. And that's where you, you did know? the video. Was yeah, I mean, and this is where I do my now. Like, yeah. this is not, it's not super complicated. The world changed and gave me opportunity to communicate and I, and live, I needed to do it. I had to do it. It felt right. What I was doing for my inner circle and for my acquaintances, I now had an opportunity to do at scale and the admiration is intoxicating. The attention is cool. I'm okay with it, but yeah. I'm not, in love, I didn't. If I was in need of the attention, I would have gone for fame as a child. Right. I the admiration is intoxicating. I genuinely enjoy being admired, and I don't even know if that's like good or like kind of like super not like weirdly selfish and kind of like you know narcissist. No, I don't. It's I don't. Not. I don't think so. But but I'm okay. Punchline is I'm okay. Say I've never really heard anybody say it. So I almost don't know where it sits when people hear me say I'm addicted to admiration. I see it as good. It means I'm being held accountable to doing good things because because I can't be admired for making the most money. As long as you don't get high on it, right? As long as it doesn't. I've gotten I've gotten more sober on it. I I as I continue to gain momentum, I find myself going the other way. I find myself trying to scrutinize myself more. I find myself trying to share more of my uh, my shortcomings or inabilities. I find myself overreacting to making sure I say hello to everybody or be thoughtful of en- every and utterly every interaction. Uh, I I find myself speaking to myself more, saying, "Fuck are you like." Do you understand that you can die in an hour and nobody's gonna give a fuck in a week outside of like seven to 12 of your family members and then your inner circle a little bit, maybe you get a month out of them, but what? Like I, uh, the amount of times I say to myself, who the fuck are you? Do you understand that if you died right now, nobody's gonna give a fuck is very high. And I love that. That's I don't, extre- I don't see that as, sobering. yeah, I don't think that's, I don't think that's dark. <laughs> I think that is, uh, that's, in a, that's a counterbalance conversation with myself that is reacting to, there's a lot going on with me right now and I'm aware of it, but I don't think that makes me special. I really don't. I, I think it makes my parents special. I think it makes my circumstance special. Right. I feel like I'm just the, I feel like I'm a FedEx box. <laughs> I'm like just the thing that's just delivering it. Like I'm just the container. Yeah. Really, I yeah. mean it. VaynerMedia's success I feel good about, I'm the architect. But I feel like I'm the product, I'm the Pinocchio. I was made. Yeah. And so it's hard for me when they're like, you're great, I'm like, ah. I'm like fuck man, I wish I made me instead of being me. Yeah. You know, like, um, that's why, actually this is funny, that's why me, Gary Vaynerchuk, the human strategist, is much more proud about what's happening with me than the person that gets the attention. Um, like, the person, me, behind me, as I think about how and what I do, like, because right. I set the strategy. That I'm actually really proud of. Not that people are like, you're, you're so awesome. Right, so if you're coming from that place, I ask everybody Jesus. to leave uh, our audience with one successful mind tip. Given that you feel like you're just a channel for that, that your parents made you, what would you recommend to everybody that's listening is something that they could do from a thinking perspective? Practical optimism. Practical optimism. It's pulling from the opposite directions. This is why left and right in America are getting torn apart. They're both right in different ways. There is absolutely no room for 
being cruel or mean or suppressive to another human being. Period. Great. There's also a very dangerous slope when you eliminate merit and accountability. It leads to entitlement and delusion, which leads to depression. So fuck your eighth place trophies, Brooklyn, (laughs) right? But fuck you if you're fucking, you think you're better than somebody because they don't look like you. Like you're not from here, fuck you. No cruelty and no delusional. Practical optimism. You don't work, it's highly likely the thing you don't want, the thing you want to happen will not happen. Like, so, um, but be optimistic. Like, you know, optimism really matters. Like, the internet is the playground. Not the government, not America, not your parents, not schools, not your job. We all have unlimited, we have levels of freedom that have never been seen before. I mean, you can create an avatar character. If you think you're so suppressed, create a cartoon. Make an old white man if he's got it so good. By the way, that's a little another thing that people need to understand. The level of depression in white males is just as high as everybody else. Right. Like this privilege is mindset, not what you look like. Like you know, For like sure. the mindset game, we and we'll never we can see what we all look like. And so we can make judgment, and that's fine. I'm not gonna be able to change that. Uh, but if you want to have a more thoughtful conversation, What's going on in people's chemicals in their brain is far more privileged than anything else. There are people making $32,000 a year are a super minority of minorities within this country and are fucking skipping and whistling to happiness every day. And there's fucking a 41-year-old white dude with a fucking Benzo and a Ferrari and a Lamborghini and a private plane and making 33 million a year who's fucking doing drugs at night just to cope with the deep inherent pain in his heart. That's the truth. That's true. And so, you know, we got a lot of work to do, but I always think that times like this lead to the bounce back. I think we're on the verge of a tremendous era in our society that is going to be the reaction to a lot of what's going on right now, all the tension in the air, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to in my mid-50s through 60s to watch our society prosper in its real efforts to do more of the right collective thing And I think that will only happen once we have empathy and compassion to listen instead of just yelling at each other and judging and everyone sucks. Awesome. Gary, thanks much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks guys for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed and more importantly, a bunch of you listen every day and haven't told your friends it's the best podcast in the world. I'm watching. (laughs) Have a great day.